0: I got up early this morning, and so I'm, I've got energy, I had my cup of coffee, my latte has kicked in, and so I'm ready to, ready to grind today. Now, he introduced me by saying that I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely an OU fan, but I, just so that I don't get hurt leaving this place, I have a healthy respect for Nebraska Huskers, okay? All right? Yeah, there you go. Clap that up. Um, Just by way, in in the way of a little bit of of background, I did come to my call in ministry a little bit later in life, but man, the the passion that drove me there really began where you're sitting. What began early on in the way of the discipleship relationship uh, happened for me in high school came to Christ because a friend of mine had gone away over the summer, had spent some time with the Lord, and come back on fire. I'm thinking this is a passing fad. There's no way this brother's going to be able to keep the energy and enthusiasm about his faith for very long. And sure enough, he did. I'm thinking, i would give him a month or two, and this whole Jesus thing will kind of water down and wash off, and, and it'll be over. We'll go back to what we were doing. Well, the truth is that never did happen, and I began to see him increase his level of boldness in a public school setting, bringing his Bible to school and sitting down at the cafeteria and wanting to interact with different people about his faith. What blew me away was every time that someone would sit down and talk to him about faith, he either knew the answer or was looking up the answer. And that was the first time in my life I'd ever seen anybody do the the art and science of what's called apologetics. It intrigued me. Long story short, I follow him to church, uh, get engaged in discipleship with him, and learn the truth about the gospel, that I'm indeed a sinner in need of a Savior. And as a result of that, I made a decision long ago uh, to give my life to Christ. Now, I'd love to tell you that it was just a, just kind of an uphill thing, and me and Jesus were cool the whole way. But like many of you, take turns and twists and things like that in your walk with God. Man, I, I, I did too. I, 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 he mentioned I got involved in business. I have a beautiful wife and three children. My, my oldest daughter is 17, about to be 18. I, I know I don't look old enough to have a 17-year-old daughter, but but the only people in the back laugh at that so but with that said I'm uh, I'm excited to be here I love the opportunity to speak uh, to young people Uh, there's a lot of opportunity uh, and and things that lie ahead of you uh, that I think will be powerfully impactful if if packaged right I'm thankful for uh, Nebraska Christian School here what you guys are learning the fact that you're involved uh, in understanding biblical worldview so I get an opportunity in what I want to share today to really do a fast forward, uh, really rather than unpacking. Most of the time when I, when I teach from this lesson, I really begin to slowly unpack for people what is worldview, and everyone has a worldview, and what does that look like, and how does the believer engage in other worldviews? I teach a lot of, uh, a, a lot of adults, older adults, in fact, about why we believe what we believe, And I think it's important because those adults need to be passing that on to the next generation. I think as you all will come to know and understand, uh, either now or later, especially as you go off to to college, that very few people actually possess a biblical worldview. In fact, a Barna study uh, that that looked at worldviews said approximately 9% of Americans, 9% of Americans actually hold a biblical worldview. And, and sadder still, only 19% of born-again believers actually hold a biblical worldview. When I think about that, what's the, what's the, what's the challenge that comes with that? What, what's, the, what's the opportunity that comes with that? Well, the challenge is this. More and more times, born-again believers really have adopted the thought process of the world system, of the secular worldview. And they're adopting that, believing that to be a part of what the biblical worldview is, what God intends for each and every one of us. Well, the reality is that worldview actually destroys lives, actually has us focusing on self rather than focusing on God. I, I, I wonder, I was looking up, I was trying to get all my intel uh, about the school and about the professors. I'm checking you guys out in the back. I'm trying to figure out what are you learning, listening to, uh, to, to uh, the different recordings of speakers here. You guys have had some impressive people speak, which is why I have no idea why my brother Gordon asked me to even come. He, he works in FCA and that kind of thing, and I thought, well, maybe if, if, if I told him I self-identified as a six-foot-five basketball player, maybe that would pass. Unfortunately, that's not what you see in front of you, is it? Well, I, I, I'm thinking about the, the issues of the day, what you all are going to face, listening to what you're experiencing, what you're exposed to. And my thought was, it said, one of the, one of the things on y'all's website said that about 97% of students from here attend college, move on to attend college, which is impressive by any measure. How many of y'all plan on heading to college next year? Next year. Okay, so everybody in my front row. All right. That said, I, I, would, I would ask you, what are you seeing as you're looking forward to what's happening on college campuses? Now, this is the back and forth. This is the talk back. See, now I attend Westside Church, but my background is at a black church where we talk back at people. <laughs> Right, Where folks say amen and you, you kind of ask and kind of do that shout and call back. So here's, here's, what I'm, here's what I'm asking. What are you seeing? This is the dialogue portion. What are you seeing on college campuses in the way of the issues around free speech? What's happening on college campuses regarding free speech? Say again? Being limited, Being limited right? What else? What, what else are you seeing? What's happening? You guys are smart. You ladies are extra smart. Tell me, what are you seeing? Say again. It's one sided. It's one. sided -sided. what else are you seeing? How are people responding on college campuses with regard to the issue of people bringing ideas that are opposed or opposite the secular worldview? It's extremely hostile. What's your name? Say again. Juan Lasso. Juan Lasso said it's extremely violent, right? In fact, at UC Berkeley here recently, uh, Mayo Yiannopoulos, uh, was, a, was about to speak, and I don't know what you think about his point of view or, or where he comes from with regard to his, his worldview. I think portions of it are biblical, much of it is not. There's a lot of controversy. He's a provocateur of, of sorts, if you guys are, follow Twitter or Facebook or social media. But as a result of, of him even being spoken about at the college campus, what began to happen there? Violence broke out. Violence erupted. Why? Because he was bringing a worldview that no one wanted to hear. Now, I share that not to say we share his worldview, but to simply ask the question, is that the right way for us to respond? Is that the way that we as believers respond? Let me say this about biblical worldview, and I think each of you know this. The biblical biblical worldview, the Christian worldview, I teach this all the time, has the most explanatory power over and above every other worldview system out there. And that's because it's the worldview of a sovereign God of the universe. And, And as a result of that, we have nothing to fear whatsoever from anyone else at any other time bringing an ulterior point of view. In fact, we welcome it because it should give us an opportunity to share the truth of the message of the gospel. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to land here very quickly. Turn to Acts chapter 17, if you will. Acts chapter 17. I'm looking at a a culture on college campuses of of safe spaces, of of people who are concerned with microaggressions, of issues around, around racism around gender identity. Th- these are all issues that are in the culture, that are, that are permeating around the culture, that you're seeing if you're in the social media space, you're watching this stuff unfold often. So here's the question. What do we as believers do to engage the culture? What do we as Christians do to engage the culture from a biblical perspective? Worldview. What should we be doing? How should we be interacting? What should we be saying to the culture from a biblical perspective that, that engages them in, in dialogue? You, you hear often, well, we don't want to beat them over the head with our Bible, and we don't want to say this the wrong way or say that the wrong way. We've got to mute what it is we believe. Well, the challenge I have with that is there's no other worldview that is muting what they believe about their, 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 their thought process, their philosophy. No other worldview is muting it. Only the believer, only the Christian is muting their worldview out of fear that we might offend well, scripture is absolutely clear about the fact that what we bring in the way of the gospel is an offense to others. But we need to do it from a, from a what? 1 Peter 3, 15 and 16. It tells us to honor Christ as Lord and, 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 and think of him as holy. But we should always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks us for the hope that we have in Christ. But then he, Peter would go on to instruct us the manner in which we're to do that. We're to do that with gentleness and respect. So how do, we, how do we live in this space where we bring a message that is so counterculture? We bring a message that is uncomfortable for the world, but do that in a way that's kind, that's gentle, and respectful. Well, I want to show you what Paul did uh, in Acts 17. We're going to start in verse 18. I'm going to read this section of Scripture, and we're going to unpack it. If you're, if you're taking notes, uh, here, here are three points I want to make. I'm going to talk about, A, the culture, the culture, which I've been unpacking for you. What's going on in the culture? What's happening on college campuses? What's happening with where you're going? If 97% of you are going to leave here and go on to a college of some kind, perhaps in a, in a secular arena, you need to be prepared and equipped to defend your faith. You need to be prepared and equipped to communicate your faith. So, we talked about the culture, point one. Point two, I want to talk briefly about our call, our call as believers. And that's where we're going to jump into these verses of scripture. Finally, point three, I'm going to talk about our commission, our commission as believers. I, I talked about the culture. and I laid out some groundwork. Let me talk briefly about our call. And this is the call that happened to Paul. And in Acts chapter 17, verse 16, Paul says this. I'm reading from an ESV. It says, now while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw the city was full of idols. How many of us, when we look at Our culture today understand that what's really at work, with regard to worldview, is one in which we've exalted self above anything that the Bible would have to say about our lives. We, in fact, in fact, uh, John Calvin would say it this way. He would say that the the heart of the human, the heart of a man, is a factory of idols. That wherever we turn, whatever we look at, whatever we decide upon, we're going to figure out a way apart from God to make that thing we love an idol. Some of us do it through sports. Some, some, of, us, some of us make the idol of our lives sports where we all everything else takes second, third, fourth place to sports. Some of us do that in relationship. Everything else takes a backseat. I've got my relationship with this girl. I've got my relationship with this guy, and that's what we're going to focus on. We see it in the culture from a standpoint of, I don't care how I was born, I'm going to identify in this way. We see it in in, in another way, which is total opposite, which really doesn't make sense when you think about it, which says, I was born this way. So were you born this way? Meaning gay? Or can you... Were you born this way and now you're going to change a thought process about how you were born and walk in a way that you now feel based upon the idolatry of your heart? Those are issues that are grappling in the culture. But Paul, in this context, was walking through the city and seeing it was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Verse 18. And some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. And some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said, he seems to be preaching foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And so they took him and they brought him to the Areopagus saying, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? Verse 20, for you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now all of the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling and hearing of something new. Verse 22, so Paul standing in the midst of the area of said, men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found an, an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, I proclaim to you, the God who made the world and everything in it. Lord is Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. Verse 26, And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, Having determined the allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, so that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each and every one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we are his offspring. Verse 29, being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like that of gold or silver or stone or an image formed by the art of the imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day upon which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man he has appointed. And of this he has given full assurance, raising him from the dead." Now Paul would go on to speak about the resurrection, and folks would some would laugh at him, some would would, would, would kind of say, "Ah, we'll, we'll listen to him again." And others would, would would actually believe and begin to to follow Paul and and, and, and Christ. As a result of, of of Paul's preaching, though, there was some very interesting responses. I in, in the time that I have remaining, I wanted, I want to tell you briefly two things. One is is uh, there's a there's a thought process about what's considered the Acts 2 culture and the Acts 17 culture. This is something popularized by Ken Ham, the Acts 2 culture where Peter would preach. Peter would preach in a, in a context where the, he didn't have to explain his biblical worldview. He didn't have to explain the Torah. He didn't, he didn't have to explain the Old Testament prophets. He didn't have to explain the, the, the law of Moses. He didn't have to explain these things to the people. They understood what sin was and why people were operating in the way they were and what they were doing and what they needed to do moving forward. The Acts 17 culture is very different. The Acts 17 culture is very similar to what you all are engaged in today as you head off to college campuses, as you engage your friends that are, that are not a part of either this school or part of Christian culture. This is a culture that really has no understanding of right and wrong from a biblical perspective. They have no clear understanding of w- what truth is from, a, from, a, from an absolute perspective. Their thought process is what's good for me is good for me and what's good for you is good for you and we can hold two separate truths and they can be congruent at the same time. This is a culture when you begin to explain sin, they automatically assume that all you're doing is making a judgment. As if making judgments are wrong or as if they're not making a judgment by judging that you're judging. But oftentimes that's lost on their mindset. But what we need to look at, though, and the time that I have remaining, I want to just let you know what Paul is doing. If you're taking notes, write these down. In in chapter 17, verse 24. So I want you to write 17, 24. Here's what Paul did. He explains God as the creator of the universe in verse 24. In verse 25, he explains God as the sustainer of life. God as the sustainer of life. In verse 26, he explains God as... As the ruler of the nations. God as the ruler of the nations. In verse 27, he explains that God is the savior of the needy. God is the savior of the needy. In verse 28, he explains that God is the father of each of us. Verse 28, God is the father of each of us. In verse 29, he explains that God is the king over all of us. Last verse, verse 30, he explains God is the judge of the world. So in those handful of scriptures, he unpacks a full breadth and depth of the biblical world View and charges them to repent. It is imperative for you as young followers of Christ as those who are about to take the message of the gospel into spaces and places where where it needs to be heard to understand and know how to effectively articulate what Paul does in about six verses. He unpacks the entire biblical worldview. And then explains Jesus Christ and the resurrection, which is my last and final point. I told you I'd speak about our culture and I'd speak about our call to me. Finally, speak about our commission, a great commission. Jesus comes back. From the dead, he's he's there with his disciples. And last opportunity before his ascension, he tells in in Matthew 28, he says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, right? He then goes on to instruct us that we are to go, therefore, and preach the gospel to all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that God had commanded. It is a lot of fun to understand biblical worldview. And as I mentioned earlier, biblical, the biblical worldview, the confidence that you can have in being here at this school where truth is proclaimed, where biblical worldview is declared from every space and place that you're in, you can have the confidence of knowing that the worldview you study has explanatory power above any and all other worldviews. As a result of that, you have nothing to ever fear from anyone else holding an alternative worldview, ever. Because their worldview will fall apart under the crushing weight of its falsehood. We don't have to do that in a way that beats people up over the head. We need to do that from a position of absolute love and affection for who they are. Who are they? They are image bearers of a sovereign God of the universe. I don't have to hate the person who says, "Hey, I'm 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 gay. Hey, I'm 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 wrestling with this issue of my gender identity." I don't have to fight with them. I have to love them. I'm commanded to do so according to scripture. Why? Because what they've done is they've taken their identity and minimized it to, to what they're thinking about from a sexual perspective. When the reality is our worldview has such explanatory power that we have to expand what they believe about themselves. They're limiting their identity to something that they're doing in a bedroom. Can I say that? When the reality is our worldview commands us to view them as a a human being created in the image of God and has a responsibility to know the sovereign God of the universe, When someone would approach me with an alternative worldview, I'd simply tell them, I I, I appreciate where you're coming from, but you need to understand something. You're limiting the manner in which God commands me to love you. The fact that you're an image bearer of God based upon Genesis 127 is is my premise for care for you. So regardless of your gender identity, regardless of your race, regardless of where you're coming from, my love for you is, is ultimate at the same time. I have to point you to that sovereign God that created you, and to, and to challenge you to think about what he says about you. I'm to love you, but I'm also to proclaim the truth of the message of the gospel according to Matthew 28. And that gospel message is this, that there is one who's come, Jesus the Christ. He came and lived a perfect life. He died a death. That he did not deserve why did he do that he did that on your behalf on my behalf why because we image bearers of God created in his image and likeness made a decision not to follow him made a decision to sin against him we actually declared war against the holy sovereign God of the universe and as a result of that sin we are separated from God Ultimate payment had to be paid, and Jesus Christ himself entered creation to pay that penalty on our behalf. It is our responsibility as a result of his affection for us to show our love for him by repenting of our sin and placing our faith in Jesus Christ. If I'm here and you've not done that, I would challenge you today before you leave this space or place to get to know this sovereign God who loves you so much that he sent his only son to die on your behalf. Let me pray for you. Father God, I thank you so much for the opportunity to share and to speak. My prayer is that you, by your spirit, now would begin to move on these, your people, that they would know and understand the power of the biblical worldview, the power of your son coming and dying on a cross, that they would never live their lives in the same manner as a result of that knowledge. Pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen.